this morning to be uh, here and to come before you and before your word. We ask you that you will open our hearts, uh, open our eyes, and open our ears, and will give us, Lord, a heart that is a good soil to receive what you have prepared for us, and that we will bring fruit for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Since the beginning of Christianity, people have asked why Jesus had to shed his blood as payment for our sins. Even when Jesus told his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, Peter answered was, Oh, dear me, God forbid it, Lord. This should never happen to you. And later, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth saying, The message of the cross, the sacrifice of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. And he continued to say, But we preach Christ crucified, stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. In the 1950s, the liberal theology in Latin America did not like the idea of Christ's blood as payment for our sins. And they called this view a religion of blood. They preach a gospel where God is not angry over our sins. And they preach a God that is not so pagan to forgive sins by shedding of blood. Last century as well, a British writer, George Bernard Shaw, was very, very angry with the Anglican Book of Common Prayer because, in, I'm quoting in his words, it's, he says, it was saturated with ancient, infernal, and superstitious ideas about paying with blood for sins. He said, Christianity must completely eliminate this nonsense of atonement by blood sacrifice. But if you remember when Adam and Eve sinned, they were aware of their own nakedness and stitched fig leaves together to try to cover their guilt and shame. But God was not satisfied with their way of covering their sins. God was not satisfied with how they tried to get rid of their sin and of their guilt. Instead, God clothed them. God clothed their guilt with the skin of a sacrifice animal. From the beginning, God has made it clear 
that if we ought to obtain forgiveness of sin, the only possible way is through the shed of blood of a perfect substitute. So you see the connection here. When God sacrificed an innocent animal, instead of the guilty one, he graphically and very graphically demonstrate the horrible penalty of sin, but also demonstrated his great mercy by providing, by providing a substitute. Now, if we come back to chapter 9 of Hebrews, that is the passage that we are going to be looking after this morning, the author is proving that the whole Jewish system of worship based on the blood of sacrifices was pointing ahead to the only sufficient and perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Why would you want to return to the old sacrificial system that could never cleanse your conscience? That was the question that the writer of Hebrew was asking them. Why do you want to go back to the old system of sacrifices? And last Sunday, we read from verses 1 to 10 that the old covenant was based on an earthly on an earthly tabernacle on an earthly place we saw that in verse 1 of chapter 9 we also saw that this tabernacle was but a shadow means that was only a picture of the real thing to come in verses 2 and 3 and we also saw that the old covenant sanctuary was inaccessible to people. Do you remember? Only the priest could come to the holy place, and only the high priest could come to the holy of holies, and this once a year. And that was all. The access was restricted. And lastly, we saw that this tabernacle was unable to change the heart of people was based only on the external things. Rituals that was pointing just to clean, cleaning the externals of people. So the question remains, why would they want to return to the old sacrificial system? It didn't make sense. If they had gone back, they would have abandoned the eternal redemption God provided for them in Christ Jesus. But that not only happened to them, that also happened to all of us. The same happened to all of us more than 2,000 years later. 
We still try in our own way to get rid of the guilty of our wrongdoings. And we try many things. Someone, someone will tell us, you need to identify the source of your guilt and get rid of it. But the problem is that, the, that we are the source of all this guilt. We cannot get rid of ourselves, right? Or maybe someone will tell you, if you write your feelings of guilt, and then you will notice that our wrongdoings are not that bad. But again, the guilt is not going anywhere just because we are trying to minimize it. It's still there. Or maybe if we replace negative thoughts with positivity, perhaps that will help us realize that we are not that bad people. Maybe what we need is just to forgive ourselves. But again, dear friends, we have not sinned just against ourselves. We have sinned against God. So he is the only one who can forgive us. And chapter 9, the verses that we have this morning, proposes the solution for this problem. The first thing that we see in the verses that we just read is that Christ has entered as a high priest into the heavenly tabernacle to secure eternal redemption. If you go with me to chapter 9 and you read with me in your Bibles or on the screens, verse 11, we find the first verse in this morning reading says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Notice the first comparison that he is making. The first tabernacle was made by human hands. But this is not made by human hands. But when Christ appeared, when he appeared, a better system was inaugurated. Now that Christ has appeared, there is a new way, a new system with a better priest. Look at the verses 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Remember that the priest in the Old Testament had to enter into the holy place by blood of animals. This means that they had to make sacrifices for themselves and then sacrifices for the people. 
but not Jesus. Jesus has entered into the holy place by his own blood. Therefore, he is a better priest, and he has secured what, is this, what, what it says in, at the end of verse 12. He has secured an eternal redemption. So what does it mean to me that Christ has obtained eternal redemption? Redemption means that Christ paid the price with his own life, securing our deliverance from the bondage of sin. Christ paid by his own life, by his own blood, the price securing then the forgiveness of our sins. As the old song goes, he paid a debt he did not owe. Because we owed a debt we could not pay. Christ paid the debt of our own sin to give us eternal deliverance, eternal redemption. Guilt is not more in our account. We are free. Read with me verses 13 and 14. It says, For, verse, um, yeah, 13, says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the foul person with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, that was the old system, that was the old a covenant. But then, look at verse 14. How much more, that is the question, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offer himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living, the living God? He is saying here that the old system of sacrifices depended upon the activity of the worshiper and affected only the body, only the external of the body. If there is something we are trying to do for God that only will affect the external man and it will not quiet our conscience, but then, in the new system in which we are called to live, it does not depend on the worshiper's work, but on the work of Christ in our place. The old system depended on the worshiper. The new system depends on someone else. Not in us. Our activity does not add anything to be accepted and forgiven before God. 
We are not accepted because we serve or because we do. We are accepted because of what Jesus Christ did. God does not like us more if we do more. All the things we do for him never make him forgive us more or less. We are already redeemed. He obtained eternal redemption. We are forgiven because the price has already been paid. That is good news. For you and for me. God forgive us because we believe in the price Christ paid for us. And therefore, we can serve God not out of obligation or not out of duty, a sense of duty. Oh, yes, yes, we need to serve the Lord. There is a need. No, we do it because we are grateful and we have been redeemed. And that, that love and gratitude moves us to serve the living God. Have you felt unable to serve God because you feel inadequate? Your high priest declares you clean because he already offered his blood to the Father. And our freedom is not determined by our emotions, if we feel close to Him or not, if we feel free or not. It's a done deal. That's period at the end. We are free to serve God in everything we do Every minute of our days, every minute of our lives. And therefore, look at verse 15 with me. If you go to chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Therefore, yes, Jesus Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. The all is past, is gone. He is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. Yes, he is the mediator of a new covenant. He has established a new way by which you and I can come before God. The result of his work is our eternal inheritance. Our eternal inheritance. Here in verse 15, he introduces a new word in this chapter that he has been using in previous chapter, but this word is inheritance. And in verse 15, in the middle of the verse, tells us how you and I received, 
have received this inheritance. You will find it in the middle of verse 15 says, if you read with me verse 15 at the beginning says, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. And then says, since a death has occurred. What he's talking about then now? Pretty much is evident there. You receive an inheritance until the person, until the person who is, is living the inheritance die. Not before, but after. And that's what, what he's talking about here. We have received an inheritance. But in order to receive this inheritance, someone has to die. And that is what he's following in these next verses. It's like he's giving us an illustration of what is happening. So, if we read verses 16 until verse 22, it says, and there comes again the inheritance. Then comes again the will. There comes again this word that he is introducing here. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it, it is alive. So why Jesus need to shed his blood and, and sacrifice himself? Because the will only takes place if he dies. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated with blood, without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself of the covenant, of the new covenant, of the old covenant, I mean Moses' covenant, and all the people, and he was saying, this is the blood, there was a sacrifice. Someone dies, so then the covenant can start. You can receive the benefits of the old covenant. This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. That's what Moses was telling people. And in the same way, he is sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Notice how finished. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without a death, says this passage, it is not possible to receive the benefits of the new covenant God makes through Christ Jesus.
no written will, no written testament can give any benefits until after death of the maker. We cannot benefit ourselves from all that Jesus Christ provides for us in terms of, of release from a guilty conscience unless there is a death. That happened in the old covenant, that happened in the old tabernacle, and that must happen in this new covenant. Let me close with an illustration I found in our daily bread uh, this past week. Robbie Flockhart, a street evangelist, says, said that when he was called to serve in the army, he became friends with a man who was later condemned to die. The prisoner called for Robbie and in his presence made out his will, leaving him all the money he had. But on the day of his scheduled execution, the man was pardoned. Recounting the circumstances, Bobby said, the man who made the testament lived. So I lost my inheritance. A testament is not valid while the testator lived. The same guy, Bobby, at another time says another story. Another person, he was a lucky guy. Well, not that lucky, but another person left him a small inheritance. And he did not get it because some rascal of a lawyer came along. So he never saw a penny of the inheritance. So he was not that lucky, I guess. In the end, Ravi Flockhart used to say, if the man who left the inheritance had been alive, he would, he would have made sure his old friend, Robbie, got his money. But being dead, he had no power to see his will carry out. And Jesus, my friends, is the greater testator of the new covenant. He died. There is no question about that. Therefore, the will certified by his precious blood, certified by his death, is valid, and we will receive our inheritance. He has secured eternal redemption for us through his atoning death. Ah, but the Savior did not remain in the grave. Jesus Christ is alive to make sure that our inheritance is fully carried out.
he died, therefore we receive the inheritance. And he is alive, therefore we will receive the inheritance that is available for us. Poor of us if we refuse to recognize this to be true. If we reject this testament, this will that is available for us, then there are no benefits of the new covenant for you and for me. And those benefits are a clean conscience, a life free of guilt, and the freedom to serve God in His presence forever. This is why Jesus had to die for you and for me in order to give us this beautiful inheritance. Let's pray. <laughs> Laura, there is, there is no words to say thank you for what you on our behalf the eternal inheritance that is available right now for us and that we will fully receive in the eternity give us Lord the faith to believe and to live accordingly to this new reality. We have been forgiven. And therefore, we can have a clean conscience. If by faith we believe that Jesus paid it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this, this beautiful song together.